Good morning. That was wimpy. Good morning. I thought the people of God showed up this morning. Come on now. Um, man, this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so if you got that, we're going to be there. Uh, if you're scared about that, just keep being scared. It's going to be all right. Um, but man, just so excited about the word uh, we're going to experience together today. Um, can, we just, can we just maybe do something? You feel like there's like a big roadblock right now? It's weird. It's, it's super, super weird. Uh, and I'm not okay with it because I'm going to get to Jesus this morning. And if you want to come, you can come. Uh, but I'm going to get there. Um, so can we just maybe together pray? Like not like a little soft whispery thing, but like a, I'm going to shout in the devil's face right now. I'm about to meet with God and you can just get out of my way. Uh, can we just pray? Father God, this morning we thank you uh, for what you're going to do. And God, this morning we just pray, God, that every obstacle, Jesus, you just tear it down right now. Um, God, we've seen in, in, uh, in your word how you walk through walls. We've seen in your word how, um, God, you don't need uh, doors to be open. You don't need windows to be open. You just come straight through the wall. Um, God, and if, if that's not cool enough, uh, sometimes you just knock them flat. And, um, God, this morning we're just asking you to do that. Um, God, if you can just Jericho this place real quick. Um, and knock down anything that's in the way, anything, anything in the way this morning. Um, God, we're not content with just coming in a room um, because, God, the king of the universe is here. Um, God, we've been singing about your grace and your truth and your love and, and your hope. And, Jesus, for some of us this morning, I know that maybe hope seems to be kind of out there somewhere and not attainable for us. But because of Jesus, hope is in the room today. Uh, and peace, maybe for some of us, seems to be something so far away. But because of Jesus, peace is in the room today. And love is in the room today. And acceptance is in the room today. And forgiveness is in the room today. And it's not a far away thing. And everybody has a shot. And I just wanted today, Jesus, maybe just come around idea together, God, that you would just pour out your spirit in this place because I believe, Jesus, in what your word says, and I believe in who you say you are, and God, I want to see it. So God, this morning, we just press, and God, we're going to press, and we're going to press, and we're going to press, and we're going to press until there's nowhere left to press because, God, we want to be as close to you as we can be on this side of things, and then as soon as we get there, Jesus, we want you to take us to the next side of things. God, I'm not content anymore with just doing the stuff. And God, I'm praying for a people that feel that same heart, that feel that same way. God, there is nothing else in the universe but the creator of the universe. Nothing greater, nothing higher, nothing bigger, nothing stronger. And God, that is what we're going to settle for this morning, you. Nothing less. So God, this morning we're just praying that you speak, and God, we're going to listen. It's in your name, Jesus, we're going to pray. Amen. Um, And this morning we're going to be in Acts 2, and I'm a little bit fired up about that. Um, I know that maybe for some of us we've been here and you've heard Acts 2 a bunch, or maybe you've been somewhere else and you've heard Acts 2 a bunch, and that's okay. Uh, We're just going to camp out there again today, and uh, maybe next week, maybe we'll do the same thing, who knows. Uh, We're just going to listen to Jesus, but... Um, the past few weeks, we've been on this series called What Now? And uh, I think, you know, aside from what Jesus uh, might do in, in the week to come, that this is the last week of that. Um, but I know maybe for some of you, you're like, I can't really get behind a series called What Now? Because it's kind of a question and not a title. So when you come up with a better title, I'll, I'll be with you. I'm not with you right now. Um, but I just want to say, um, I feel like that is a very relevant question for where we are kind of in the passion story at this moment. Um, 
the disciples would have actually been asking this question, I believe, quite a bit at this point in time because they had just seen like the craziest couple days uh, that they had ever experienced. They'd walked with Jesus, this man they loved for three and a half years, like their best friend, a man who they proclaimed to be the Messiah, a man who they'd seen do amazing, amazing things. They'd seen Jesus like walk up to people that had never walked before and say, get up, and they get up. That's kind of an awesome idea right there. Go try that later if you're not impressed by that. And they'd seen people that have never seen before. Jesus just come up and he, he touches their eyes and then he makes them whole and they can see. And, and, and that's an amazing thing, Right? He, they'd seen Jesus kind of walk up to people who'd been afflicted by demons, and that's a real thing, right, in the Bible. Uh, it's a real thing. And they'd seen him walk up to these people and cast out these demons, right, power over hell. They'd seen Jesus call into graves, like literally tombs with dead bodies in them, and, and talk to dead people and say, get up, and they've walked out alive. And that's some pretty amazing stuff. And in the past couple days, they saw that Jesus that miracle-working Jesus, that powerful Jesus, that teacher like no other teacher Jesus, that friend like no other friend Jesus, that love like no other love Jesus, they watched him die. They watched him be arrested. They watched him be beaten. They, they, they watched him be carried away. They watched him drag his cross up the hill, and at the end of that, they watched him uh, be nailed to a cross, beaten and bruised and battered beyond recognition, the Bible says, I've never been beaten like that. I've never even seen anybody beaten like that. But Jesus was beaten to the point where his best friends would have had a hard time telling that was Jesus if they didn't know it was Jesus. They'd watched him kind of propped up above the whole world and then in that moment hang there for like six hours. And at the end of that, they watched their best friend, Jesus, who loved like no other has loved, who told dead people to get up and they did. That Jesus, they watched him die. That's a lot to take in, right? We weren't even there, and that's a lot to take in. They watched him be taken off and taken and placed in a tomb, watched a stone be rolled in front of the tomb, and they thought, man, that's it, right? You know, nobody's come back from that. Nobody's come back from crucifixion before. Nobody's come back from death like that before. The one who has power over death is now seemingly defeated by death. And in that moment, they probably think, man, it's over. Man, how can this be? How can this man who has this much power, how, how can this be? How can a man who can speak to death and, and, and life happen? How can that man be dead? How can this be? They go and kind of hang out in a room for a little while. And then three days later, Jesus walks straight through the wall, right? Bearing the marks of the crucifixion. Speaking the words, peace to you. And the resurrected Jesus shows up to the disciples for the first time. And I guarantee you in that moment, along with a list of other questions, one of those was, man, what does this mean? What do we do now? Where do we go from here? Because I just want you to know, man, when the resurrected Jesus walks in the room, it changes everything. Let's say that again. When the resurrected Jesus walks in the room, it changes everything. If it changes nothing, you're maybe in the wrong room. If it doesn't do anything, maybe you're in the wrong room. Maybe you're like Thomas and you're out somewhere else because when the resurrected Jesus walks in the room, it changes everything. And the question, the response to a resurrected Jesus is only, what 
now? Where do I go from here, right? We've been talking about that the past few weeks, and we're going to do that again this morning in Acts 2. In Acts 2, it just starts off, we'll just go with the beginning because that sounds fun. Um, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. So all the disciples are here together in one room. If you look back in Acts chapter 1, you see that it's not just the 11 guys. Now it's 12 again. It's not just the 11 guys, but there's 120 other people in the room with them. Okay, so pretty, pretty decent sized group of people, probably pretty decent sized room. And all these people are gathered together like they pretty much have been every other day since Jesus died. There's been maybe a couple days, a couple moments where they ventured out. They just come back from a Mount of Olives, right, uh, into this room. But this room seems to be like home base. It's the place they're hanging out. And today we see they're hanging out for this event, this day of Pentecost, Now, the problem with the day of Pentecost is the day of Pentecost is kind of a celebration of the resurrection, right? It happens 50 days after um, Jesus raised up from the tomb, 50 days after that. 40 days uh, he was on the planet, and then there was another 10 days he wasn't on the planet, and this is the day of Pentecost. And you're like, well, how are they, what they do? Like, just get together when Jesus rose? And they're like, let's have a holiday. Uh, Seven weeks after Easter, we're going to get together on a Sunday, and we're going to celebrate Pentecost. But that's not what's going on here. They're actually already together celebrating another holiday called Shabbat. It's a Jewish holiday. Uh, They were Jewish, so you can see the correlation there. Um, But they were together celebrating this holiday called Shabbat. And Shabbat's a celebration of two things. One is when God gave the law, the Torah, the the first couple books there, gave those uh, to Moses. It's a celebration of that. Hebrew people did it every year for a really long time now. But it's also a celebration of the harvest, where where the people of God would get together, uh, these Hebrew people, these Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate this, this, this harvest time. And I think it's pretty amazing that God's going to take this holiday here in just a minute where we're already celebrating a harvest and change it into a different kind of holiday where we're already now celebrating a new harvest. You get where we're going here. Um, this day of Pentecost is a day that God just took what it is and he says, let me give you, uh, that, was, that was the shadow version, that was the back in the day version, but now because of Jesus, everything changes, right? Even the holidays. And I just want you to know, um, it used to be Shabbat, but now it's Pentecost. We're still celebrating a harvest, but it's a different kind of harvest. And we're still celebrating uh, something that God's doing, but it's not the law anymore because it's not by the law anymore. It's by the Holy Spirit. And 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, these people are gathered together and they're in a room and it doesn't really say what they're doing because it doesn't really matter. They could have been praying. Maybe that was the thing. They could have been teaching. Maybe that was the thing. They could have been sitting around uh, worshiping. That was the thing. Maybe they're singing, how great is our God? Who knows the deal? But they were together in one place and they were doing something together in that place. And it says in verse two, suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. So whatever they're doing, I don't know, it must have been working though, right? Because in this moment, 50 days later, right, um, they're sitting there, they're doing something, and suddenly like heaven opens up and there's this sound like that of a violent rushing wind that comes and it fills not just kind of the corner of the house or the stage of the house or maybe the back room of the house, but the whole house. Everybody, right, gets to hear. It goes on. And it says, and tongues like flames of fire were divided. They appeared to them. So everybody saw the tongues, right? Everybody noticed it. Everybody recognized it. And then it says they rested on them. Everyone also experienced it. 
So we have this moment where this mighty wind of God rushes from heaven and it fills the house and the whole house gets to hear it, right? And then the tongues of flames of fire, like literally, like there were things that looked like tongues on fire is kind of crazy probably because you weren't expecting that when you showed up to church. And everybody saw it, not two or three people or one person or maybe this, this radical person, like, but everybody saw it and then everybody experienced it, every single person. I don't know how many people were in the room. It was a lot, right? 120 plus 12, whatever that is. I'm not good at math. But all those people were in the room, and everybody heard it. Everybody saw it, and everybody experienced it. And it says, uh, they were all, this is pretty amazing, filled with the Holy Spirit. A promise, by the way, that Jesus had given them back in chapter 1, right? Go back to Jerusalem. Get in your little room. Huddle up. I know you're going to. Go in your little space and just wait on the Holy Spirit. And then 50 days later, right, everybody hears it, everybody sees it, everybody experiences it, and then everybody is filled with it. Not one person, not like crazy church lady, right, not like the preacher or the band, but every single person uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, when that happened, they began speaking in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability to speech. Now, I'm not going to focus a lot on that, uh, but I'll just let you know they all were speaking languages they didn't know. It's pretty awesome. Okay, all these languages were, by the way, earth languages, and I'll back that up here in just a minute. All those were, hey, I've never spoke French before, and here we go. Like, you want that before the exam, right? Just pray for that. God, give me the spirit of tongues right before this, uh, just before this French exam. Like, that would be amazing. But everybody in the room starts speaking. You can imagine how crazy this would be out loud in languages they didn't know. This dude's speaking German. He's never even met a German guy. This dude's speaking Italian. He's never met one. And they're all just going for it. That's crazy. Like, that's the day you want to come to church, right? Like, oh, man, I just thought I was coming in this morning for, like, I'm just going to do the thing. And then the heavens opened up, and it was amazing. And then there were tongues. That was kind of weird, but they were on fire. And then they rested on me, which was also kind of different. But then I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I didn't even care. It was so awesome. And then I just started speaking this language I didn't know. It was an amazing thing, right? Jesus accomplished what he said he would accomplish, and it was amazing. That 50 days, however many days ago, right? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, get in a room and wait. The Holy Spirit will show up. You just do your thing. And here it is finally. Like this is the day that you want to show up to church. And I get that. That's amazing. That's what we're waiting on, right? That's, that's amazing. You, you don't want to miss that day. Like that's not a, hey, I missed you at church Sunday. It was really awesome. The Holy Spirit showed up and the heavens opened up and then there was like this sound of a giant rushing wind and then tongues came out. Like that's not the phone call you want to get after church. You want to, oh, they sang that song you didn't like. You want, you want that Sunday, right? Or, oh yeah, he talked for six hours. It was horrible. Like that's the phone call you want the day that you missed, right? But this is a different kind of phone call. But I just want you to know, it took 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus for this to go down, right? Walked Pentecost. I've, I can back that up biblically. Uh, it took 50 days for this moment to happen. And I don't know when Jesus gave the promise, but it was at least 10 days ago that he said the Holy Spirit would show up because Jesus hasn't been walking on the planet for 10 days at this point in time. And I don't know what it's been like in the room. Maybe it's been great in the room. I don't know. I can, I can read back to before the resurrection, uh, or at least before Jesus showed up and see what it was like in the room. There was fear in the room. There was doubt in the room. There was hurt in the room. There was maybe anger in the room. I can read back to, to, to Sunday before Jesus walks in the room and see what was in the room. I don't know what's been in the room the past few days, but I, I would say it's probably not a whole lot different. 
especially when Jesus left 10 days ago, right? And it would have been tempting to like get out of there. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a hallucination. We, we saw Jesus like three times. Maybe, maybe we're just dreaming that because I did see him die. And I bet it was tempting for some of these guys to just take off right out of the building. I'm getting out of there. That's, I don't know about that. They might kill me. I don't know if I want to be seen going in and out of there because it had been 50 days since the resurrection and it had been another 10 since Jesus had even shown up. But what would have happened if, like, day 49, they were like, oh, no, never mind, okay, now we were wrong, let's just, let's, let's get out of here, right? She's been gone for, like, nine days now, and nothing's happened. Maybe he's not going to do what he said he's going to do. Maybe he's not going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish. What if they'd have been like, ah, oh, I don't really, I mean, we just go in there and pray the whole time. I don't even like it. Like, we just go, and then they just pray, and then, like, Peter talks, and he's, I don't even know what the guy's talking about, and, like, it just, I'm, i got to get out of there. But they persisted, right? 50 days, maybe 10 days of nothing. Maybe 10 days of awesome, but it wasn't 10 days like this. And then 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after Jesus left the planet, God comes through on what he says he's going to do. What if they'd have left before he did? What if they'd have left, oh, he's not going to do it? Oh, I don't think it's going to happen. What if they'd have walked away before God accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish? What would this book read like? Because I'm pretty sure it would have stopped somewhere after Acts 1. But for some reason, they believed in the faithfulness of God, even in the moments where it felt like the room maybe was without. And because they were faithful, right? When God came through on his part, and he always does, whether you're here or not, he's going to come through, right? Right? Because they were faithful, God on the other side, they got to experience the faithfulness of God and the Holy Spirit, this promise that at least happened 10 days ago, probably longer than that. This promise of the Holy Spirit moves into the room. Heaven opens up literally a sound like that of a violent rushing wind comes in and fills the whole room. Everybody sees the tongues. Everybody experiences the tongues. Everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit, the whole room. Not two or three, not the chosen, not the people that like to read more than the other people. Like everybody in the room is filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is the scene that goes down. And this is not the day you want to miss. Can I just say that? I know some of us already are like, man, I've been praying to this and God's not coming through in my life. Or man, I just, I don't feel like this is the thing that's going on. God's promised me this and I don't know that he's going to come through. Yeah, he is going to come through. If God has spoke it, it's going to come to pass. That's how it works. It says Jesus is the what? The way, the truth, and the life. If he said it, it's true. It may be true 10 days from now. It may be true six months from now. It may be true six years from now. But if he spoke it, it's going to happen. Don't quit before he gets there, right? Don't leave, don't give up before he comes through because it says even when we're faithless, he's faithful. Something's going to happen in the room. And this is the moment. And everybody in the room was glad they showed up that day, I'm pretty sure. And then it just kind of seems to flip here in verse 5. It's like the writer was just like, okay, that's enough of that. Um, And in verse 5 it says, there were Jews living in Jerusalem. Man, that's deep. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. I'm so glad we have the word of God to clarify that for us because I wasn't sure who was living in Jerusalem. I didn't know. Uh, Obviously, right? Yes, it's the Jews. You all are dead today. Thank you for laughing at my jokes, three people. Um, (laughs) There were Jews living in Jerusalem. 
<laughs> Why do we even put that? Of course there were. Uh, but these men were devout men from every nation under heaven, and they were religious is what it's saying. And I thought about this because it's so out of character, but I just want you to know nothing in the Bible was there by like mistake or by chance or like somebody like just was like, oh, I have writer's block, and they just started writing something. Nobody's there like that. So there's a reason verse 5 is in here, and let me just let you know what the reason is. The church is meeting in this room every day, like 50, maybe 49, because they went to the mountain one day. Who knows? But they were in the room a lot of days, and nobody knew. Nobody was affected. Nobody was changed. Nobody was challenged. Nobody was brought in or ushered in. It was the people who had experienced the resurrection, right, the church, and that was it. There weren't no visitors, right? There wasn't like a sign out front. That There's not a sign good enough to get people to drive in, by the way. But if there was, there's not a sign out front saying, oh, come on in here, brother. And nobody else was affected by what was happening in that room for 49 days. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to go. It wasn't a big deal to anybody else. And then in this, the writer goes, hey, by the way, I know it may be a party in here. But man, there's a world full of people out there. Can I just say today, um, there are a bunch of Blanians living in Blaine. Oh man, I never thought of that. That's true. We didn't. There are a bunch of Knoxvillians living in Knoxville. Oh man, I never thought of that, right? It seems not very theologically deep, but maybe today it is. Because see, what my fear is, is because I've seen it, right? I grew up in church. I've been around this planet for 30 years now, and I've been to probably more churches than I could even start to list to you. And I'll just be honest, almost everyone, if not everyone, needs this verse more than any other verse. Because what we do is we get in this room and we forget, man, outside of those doors, there are people. Oh, great, we have experienced the, resurrec- the resurrection. We've experienced the resurrected Savior. That's a great thing. And we can live our life singing those songs, right? We can do that. We can live our lives like coming in and hearing somebody talk. But my fear is, and this is what I've seen, this is why it's my fear, is we forget that outside of those doors, there's a lot of people that have never experienced the resurrected Savior. And we hang a little sign out front and we're like, oh, that'll get people. Let's do a little scientific experiment. Raise your hand if the sign got you here this morning. Raise your hand if the sign got you here the first time. I've been here for three years. I know of one person that drove by the sign and thought, I'll come in. One. Three years. That's not evangelism. We can put six signs out there. It's not evangelism. And what we need from God this morning is, A, the Holy Spirit to show up. That's what I'm praying for. Everything changes when we see the resurrected Savior. But what I'm praying even more than that is that this would be the theology we leave this place with today. There were Knoxvillians in Knoxville. There were Blanians, right, in Blaine. There are people where you live that need the resurrected Savior. It even acknowledges some of these people are religious people. It says they were devout men. Well, it's great. They were devout men on the way to hell because the Savior showed up on the planet 
right? And they were trusting in good works and good deeds. I know good people. I know great people that are going to hell. I know people with hearts better than mine that are going to hell. Because it's not about our heart, is it? It's about the Savior. It's about his heart. And the theology we need to leave with this morning, everybody's like, oh, I want to be an Acts 2 church. And what they mean is we want to sit in our room in the Holy Spirit fall. I want to be an Acts 2 church that God says, hey, there are Knoxvillians in Knoxville. There are Blanians in Blaine. If you're not going to do anything about it, shut the door. Because 50 days, 60 days, 70 days, 70 years, it's going to happen anyway. Because the sign ain't going to cut it. You are the sign, right? And God says right here, Oh, by the way, there are Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. It says in 6, When the sound occurred, this heaven opening up sound, um, the multitude came together, this people, that came together, and they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, we could read that and be like, oh, sweet. God did something crazy. The Holy Spirit showed up, and everybody come to church. Maybe that's what we need to pray for. I don't know what kind of cathedral you think the church at Jerusalem of 120 people could afford was. But I'm quite certain there was something that happened between, right, verse 4 and verse 6 to the church. See, I think the theology of there are Jews in Jerusalem, hit the church. Because I know what God is about to do. I've read ahead. And I know how many people are about to step into the church. And if their room was big enough to hold that many people, somebody in that little club was rich. And it says God did show up. And yes, that was visible to not only the people inside the church, but outside of the church. By the way, if God only shows up in the church, he probably didn't. If you're the only one that knows, nothing probably happened. Oh, I got saved, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Probably didn't. Oh, God made a work in my life, but I'm not going to tell anybody. He probably didn't. Oh, God rescued me, but I'm not going to tell anybody. He probably didn't. He had a feeling, maybe. But if what God does doesn't affect the people around us, if nobody notices but us, it's probably not the Holy Spirit, because when he shows up, the whole room is filled, right? When he shows up, everybody sees, right? When he shows up, everybody experiences, right? And when he shows up, everybody is filled, right? So if you're the only one that notices it, maybe it's not. And it says, they all heard them speaking in their own language. And at this, they were astounded and amazed, saying, look, Are all these who are speaking Galileans, I love this, because they acknowledge there is no way, right? I've seen these 120 people before. I I know where they're from. I've seen them in the marketplace. I know they are not smart enough to know this. I know they are not good enough to know this. I know they are not, it's not about their intelligence because there ain't no way they're going to do it. How do we get caught up on our intelligence? See, the reality of it is if it's your intelligence leading somebody through the gospel, they're going to be lost when you get done anyway. 
So they show up and they're astounded and amazed. By the way, it's saying the same thing two times. They're speechless and they're so speechless they had to repeat it twice, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. This is amazing and it's amazing. It's amazing and it's amazing because all these people, there's no way they can do this on their own. What's amazing is not our intelligence. What's amazing is the power of God working through us. That's what gets people. And it says they were all amazed and they thought to themselves, aren't all these people Galileans? There is no way they can do this. How is it if they're Galileans that we hear each of us in our own native language? There's no way they know these languages because there's a bunch. Uh, the Parthians, they all heard it in their language. And the Medes, they all heard it in their language. And the Elamites, they all heard it in their language. Those who live in Mesopotamia. So who knows how many different groups that is? That's like a landmass, right? Um, in Judea, that's another one. In Cappadocia, that's another one. In Pontius, that's another. In Asia, that's a pretty big place, by the way. Uh, so there's more than one, probably. In Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, so like a specific region, even the dialect was right, right? And visitors from Rome, so who knows? Both Jews and proselytes, people that are religious and people that are not, everybody heard. People that are supposed to be near to God and people that are really far away from God, everybody heard, and they heard it in a way they could understand because it wasn't our intelligence, it was the power of God. And here's what they heard. The game. They were speaking in their own language in a way they could relate to about the game, right? Oh, I just want to be friends. It's great, be friends. But talk about Jesus. About the haircut. About the shoes, about the TV show, right? All the stuff that we can talk to anybody we see at Walmart about, right? because that's not uncomfortable. I've never seen you before. Let me tell you about my favorite show that you probably don't like. (laughs) No, they all heard in their own languages the magnificent acts of God. Not only did they see one, right, but now they're hearing about others. And in 12, it says, and they were all astounded and perplexed. Now they're amazed and confused, saying to one another, what could this be? Huh? I've never seen anything like this before. And what would it look like to the world if the church would get out of the room? That would be what they'd say, I guarantee you. I've never seen anything like this before. Then people come in Subway today and they were telling me about Jesus. I've never experienced that. I've lived here my whole life and I've never went through the Subway line and heard somebody telling somebody across the counter about Jesus. Never seen that. Have you? It was in the fruit section at Walmart and this dude dropped a lemon and I picked it up and started talking to him about Jesus. I've never seen that happen before. What would the world say if the church actually did what God had called the church to do? This would be, it'd be the same words, right? I'm so confused right now. <laughs> I thought all they did was huddle up in the room and sing songs. I thought all they did was come and listen to people talk. I didn't know they actually believed it enough to talk about it when they left this place. That's crazy. And they were amazed. They've never seen anything like that before. Oh, we live in the Bible Belt. Yeah, with a bunch of lost people that never hear the gospel because they don't pass the sign and think, oh, I'll come in. It's not your grandpa's Bible Belt. And they were confused because they'd never seen anything like this before. And the words off their lips were, what is going on here? And it says in 13, we'll just acknowledge it today. We'll acknowledge it in the room. But some sneered. There were doubters. There were critics. There were people who rejected. There were people who thought, man, they're crazy. There were people who looked at them and thought, there is nothing going on here. 
There's always going to be critics. Don't be confused when somebody rejects the gospel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting your speech. It's not about your speech. They're rejecting Jesus. It's not about their obedience. It's about your obedience, right? And it says, some sneered. And here was the defense they come up with. They're full of new wine. Oh, they're drunk. (laughs) Speaking in languages I've never heard them speak before. They must be drunk. That dude doesn't know German. He's been drinking. That dude doesn't know French. He's been drinking. Hold hold up, because I've seen drunk people before, and I hear them speak, and it sounds like a different language, but it's never been a real one. (laughs) Can I just say, most of the critics' arguments are not actually good arguments. I don't believe in God. Why? They can't tell you. What they're going to get around to is, I'm mad at him. How are you mad at something that you don't believe in? Oh, by the way, you're not mad because God did that to you. You're mad because sin did that to you, and God came to fix that through Jesus. There's the gospel. Way in. Not actually as hard as it looks. Oh, they're full of new wine. It's the argument. And then I love this, and and if we can get here, we're going to get most of it today. In 14 it says, but Peter stood up. Nothing really? Nothing? Hold on, let's rewind, because you must have forgot who Peter is. Because, what, 52 days ago? 52 days ago? 53 maybe days ago? Peter was sitting around a campfire denying Jesus. For real. Peter, who walked on water, who saw the power of God in amazing ways that most of us haven't experienced, can, have not. Peter sat around a campfire and three times denied Jesus. Don't know him, don't know him. You must be crazy, I don't know him. Ran. Several days now has hid. Actually, the whole church up to this point in time has hid, right? Oh, we're afraid. They crucified Jesus. They may crucify us. That Peter. God's doing amazing things. It's filled with the Holy Spirit. Doubt sneerers, right, come. And what we expected Peter to do in the face of the skeptic is to, I didn't mean to offend you, I'm sorry. Oh, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe he didn't really raise from the dead. You ever had somebody talk you out of your own faith? Just agree to be out of the conversation? But it said Peter did something weird here. He stood up. Oh, they're drunk. No, I got this. And because, look what Peter did. Because Peter stood up, the eleven stood up with him. You know why his name got mentioned first? Because he stood up first. You don't get your name in there if you stand up 27th, right? You're, well, now it's not even new. You know, like, it's, not even, it's not even cool anymore. But Peter stood up, and because Peter stood up, the 11 others stood up. And this is what happened. 
It says that he stood up and then just so everybody heard with confidence, he raised his voice and he proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only nine in the morning. Not, oh, we're not drunk because it's Christians and not, oh, we're not drunk because, you know, we're just having a big old church meeting or no, we're not drunk because the Holy Spirit's here. He's like, oh, it's just nine. 9 a.m., dude. We don't start that till 12. We could, that's, that's communion time. We ain't even there yet. It's the dumbest answer probably in the Bible. But he stood up and he was confident about it. You know, I think he answered so dumbly. One, because he's human. Um, but two, because if it had been a good answer, we'd have been like, I can't do that. I can't do that. And that was such a good answer. I could never give an answer like that. He gave the dumbest answer ever on the paper. Right? Whole Bible. Dumbest answer in there. But can I just say it's not actually about our intelligence. It's not about our answer. And he answers back. And it says, on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he reads like a whole bunch of stuff or talks about a whole bunch of stuff. I don't think he's reading it, but we could. I'm not going to, but we could. Um, and then he gets to the heart of it. All that's about the Holy Spirit and how it was told that it was coming in the Old Testament. But then he gets to the heart of it in 22 after he gets tired of defending that they're not drunk. And uh, in 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Uh, this Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles. Did you not see what he did? He was pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. Like all three, they're all the same. He did them all in abundance. You saw he was the Jesus, right, who spoke to the lame, lame guy, never walked before Charlie. He told you, you remember Charlie. He told Charlie to get up, and Charlie got up. Charlie never walked before. You used to play with Charlie when he was two. You had to roll the ball to him, and he just kind of rolled it back because he couldn't move. You've known him his whole life. That guy, he wasn't faking it. Jesus told him to get up, and he got up. You remember that? Well. Sam over there, he'd never seen before. You, you'd known him forever. You, he just sits in the same spot because he'll run into stuff if he gets up. You've seen that. You've known him. And Jesus, he healed him. And you, for some reason, didn't believe it. You've seen the wonders and the signs over and over and over and over again. But I just want you to know um, that, that God did these signs through him, and you guys know it. Um, and it says in 23, though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him. He was the Messiah, and you killed him anyway, and you knew it. You knew it, and you killed him. Peter, who was denying him three times 50 plus days ago stands up to the crowd that was probably shouting crucify him and he says he was the messiah and you knew it you kill me if you want to you got to know the truth this is the holy spirit and it changes people and i just want you to know i was scared then but i'm not scared now because now i'm filled and i just want you to know this is what's happening and you killed the messiah and you knew it you use lawless people to kill the Savior of the world. You've been waiting on him all this time just so you can kill him. How dumb are you? But it was God's plan. You use lawless people to nail him to the cross and kill him, but God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hallelujah, amen. Listen to that. That's a pretty good story. Not lengthy, not theologically deep. Jesus died because you're a sinner, but it's okay because he's alive now because death couldn't hold him. Wrap that however you want to. It's the same story. 
Then he gets into some 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 Old Testament stuff because he was these were Jewish people and they needed to know. Um, but he gets down uh, a little bit farther in 32, and, and he just continues the story a little bit because he's kind of pumped. And he says, God has resurrected this Jesus. Uh, we are all witnesses of this. That's why we're acting crazy, by the way, because we've seen the resurrected Savior in 33. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Oh, by the way, that Jesus he killed, God raised him up, and he raised him up not just out of the grave, but into the heavens, and now he's sitting at the right hand of him, and I don't have to be afraid because he's sitting at the right hand of him, and he's got the Holy Spirit, and he poured out the Holy Spirit on us, and that's what's going on. It's not some hype. It's not some crazy fest. It's not some just holy roller convention. Like, this is the Holy Spirit in us because we have seen the resurrected Jesus. When you see the resurrected Jesus, everything changes. Fear, gone. I've seen the resurrected Jesus. I know where he is. He's at the right hand of God. He has all the power and authority. He's all authority Jesus, which means death has no hold on me. It means, it means hurt has no hold on me. Pain has no hold on me. Actually, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm gonna write that a little bit later about something or somebody is. I just want you to know it's pretty awesome. I'm going to read you some more stuff here. And then he says in 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He stood up. And because he stood up, right, 11 other people stood up. And when he stood up, maybe he didn't have the best answer in the world, but he knows what God has done enough to articulate that. If you can't tell the story of what God has done in you, then God maybe hasn't done anything in you. If you can't articulate your salvation, you need to first get salvation, and then you'll have a story. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm timid. I can't tell you what God's done in me. Then he's not done anything. You prayed a prayer. It was a half moment. You cried a little bit, and then you got up and you left. If you know I was dead, I was going to hell, I was a sinner, I was lost, any of that stuff, actually, but Jesus came, he died, I'm free. If you can articulate that, maybe you do have a story, but if you can't tell any kind of story, then you maybe are still dead. Dead people don't have interesting stories. But the guy who was in the tomb and he's out of that tomb now, that's a pretty interesting story. And it says in 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Not offended, not uncomfortable. They were pierced to the heart. You know when people get angry? When they're pierced to the heart. It's called conviction. People don't like it. Some people respond well, some people don't respond well. Either way, it's not really up to you. But when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, everybody kind of gets to be in the, in the game now, brothers, what must we do? That makes sense, actually. Maybe, maybe he really did die, and maybe he really is alive. I've never seen anybody act like that. I remember you around the campfire. <laughs> you were not talking like this. Maybe maybe something obviously happened to you. I remember, I've, I've not even seen you guys for 50 days. You, you went to the mountain one time, that's all I've seen for 50 days, and now you're out here like shouting in other languages in the streets, something happened to you. And I'm really confused but I do believe, what do, we, what do we have to do? This is what he says. Uh, repent. Be sorry for your sin. Um, feel and express sorrow for your sin or wrongdoing. That's the word repent. Not pray the sinner's prayer, by the way. 
Um, although maybe that's a great tool. It only works if you repent when you say it. Um, feel or express great sorrow for your sin or, or your wrongdoing. Peter said to them, and be baptized. That's the second part of the command, right? Repent will get you to heaven. Baptism is obedience. Each of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then it says this. Here's step three. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not you might. Not if you're comfortable with it. You will. Not if you're Pentecostal, right? You will. Not if you're Church of God, right? You will. Baptist, Methodist, don't know. Will. Because it's not about all those names that we made up. It's about the name, Jesus. And the promise is, if he's the truth, uh, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the proof that the first two things happened, right? And 39, it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, both physically and chronologically, as many as the Lord our God will call. The promise is for everybody that Jesus will call. Not everybody you convince into salvation. Not everybody who can see your argument and agrees. Not everybody who prays a prayer to get you to shut up. But for those that God calls, that's the promise. Everybody. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. That's a pretty good day one church experience. Let me tell you how it turned out because we're a numbers driven society. Um, in 41 it says so those who accepted his message not accepted Jesus but accepted the message uh, Jesus doesn't need our acceptance uh, were baptized and that day about 3,000 people were added to them that day not 16 years not 700 years and one day and you look at that and you're like, well, man, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. You're right. Have you ever lived in a time where the church did any of this? Well, I've been to really good gatherings and people were healing people. Well, that's great. It was in the building, right? It's cool. I'm not knocking that. I've been to really good gatherings. People were falling all over the place. So that's great. I'm not knocking that. That's your thing. That's your thing. Really good gatherings. People were speaking in tongues. It's crazy. That's great. If that's your thing. It all happened in the building, right? What happened out? Been a really good gatherings and like the preacher's preaching and like fire fell from heaven. That's great. What did it do out there? See, the truth of it is, man, it's, we, we got two options. We can either continue to be the church who huddles in a room and sings songs and listens to somebody talk until we all die. And we can see maybe one, right, Bible school. We see people added sometimes at Bible school. That's the biggest outreach we do ever in the church. I love it. I got saved at Bible school. I'm not knocking that. I believe in it. We're going to blow it up this year. It's going to be amazing. 
We might see one or two in that. Maybe, just maybe, one of your kids will get saved. Maybe you'll invite a Christian family that already has been in church, but, you know, they're not currently right now. I'm not knocking that. Do that. I love people that have been church hurt. I do. We're a room full of them, by the way. And, and maybe one of the, their kids will get saved, or maybe one of them. You never know. But is that really a reflection of this? See, I'll be honest, I, I don't really think what happens in the room, like we don't have to have like visible tongues of fire show up to us. That was when the Holy Spirit showed up the first time. Never experienced on the planet Earth like this. It's a promise from the Old Testament all the way till now. There's going to be a day when God will live in you. And it came with a shout because the people needed to know with clarity, the day is here. But I just want you to know if, if you've been saved right? If you've repented, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee. It's not an if or a maybe or if God likes you enough or if you read enough or pray enough or know enough. There's never a thing there, right? It says to everybody, to your children and their children and all those who are far off physically and chronologically, people on the other side of the planet and people way down through time, everybody that ever repents is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you have enough, you have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get right now if you know Jesus. You may become more sensitive to it, but you're not getting more. So you've got enough. So why do we not see that? Well, because there's two pieces of theology in that chapter that we look over trying to be the Acts chapter 2 church. Because when we say Acts chapter 2, what we mean is I want fire to fall from heaven and I want to shout during the songs and I want uh, somebody to preach fire down. And that's great. That's great. I, I hope every time we walk in here, you feel the presence of God. But the Acts chapter 2 church was not about what happened in the building, is it? It's about two little pieces of theology that come in this chapter that we skip over because we don't want to do that part and we're not comfortable with that part. And it's, hey, by the way, there's people out there. Did you know there's Knoxvillians in Knoxville? Did you know that? Deep theology this morning. Did you know there's Blainians in Blaine? Did you know that? It's deep. It really is. I've never seen a church that cared, never been part of one that cared. Do we? If not, it's not really a point. And then the second piece of that is Peter stood up. It only took one, right? It only took one. It wasn't all 120 people plus the apostles standing up at one time being like, oh, we're more than you because we're not. There's 3,000 of them and 120 plus 12 of you. They were way outnumbered. They weren't bold because they had the masses. They were bold because they had the Spirit. And when they realized, oh man, we've missed it. For 50 days now, we've missed it. We've been sitting in this room missing it for 50 days because we were making it all about us. 
I'm so scared. Oh, we don't have 12 apostles. We need to get us an extra apostle. And the Holy Spirit showed up and he redirected. And he said, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. this is not what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Not what I was talking about. Oh, we're gonna have good singing. Not what I'm talking about. Oh, we're gonna have good preaching. Not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there's Knoxvillians in Knoxville. You're never going to prevail against the gates of hell in a room where they're not at and take the battle to the gates, right? That's the whole idea of that section of scripture. And Jesus is just waiting for a church that'll say, yes, please. I'll do that. I, I would love, I would love, love, love to be part of that. I would love to be part of that. I would love to be part of seeing people over there whose lives are broken and hopeless come to the hope and the knowledge of Jesus. I would love that. Yeah. I would love to be part of your plan, Jesus. I want to be part of something bigger than me. I'm tired of being about me because I'm not really that big of a deal. I know my life is boring and I know that all I do is farm and work. I know that and it's not really that impressive, but man, I would be a gate crasher if you let me. Yeah. I would love to do that. But you'll never do that until... There are Knoxvillians in Knoxville until it's about what's out there, not what's in here. You know how this is going to be on fire? You know how this is going to be amazing? You know how this is going to be great when we realize there's Knoxvillians in Knoxville? Man, I just don't feel it when they sing that song. Get over yourself. I just don't like when they do that. Get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about them. I could be stronger, but through the grace of Jesus, I'm not. It's not about what happens in here. It's about what happens out there. And God is just waiting for one person to say, yes, please. Oh, they're drunk. I don't care. Oh, they're nuts. I don't care. Yes, please. I'll do that. I'll, I will do that. I will do that. Yes, please. I, I'm totally, heck yeah, I'm scared to death, but I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe it. Yes, please. Oh, yeah, man. I, I know that it's going to be so awkward the first 400 times. <laughs> I'm not going to be good at it. I'm going to say some dumb stuff. But, man, I just want to be part of that. Let's pray.